Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. This is the podcast where every week we review a classic pro wrestling event from a streaming service. That classic pro wrestling event could be a pay-per-view, it could be a major arena card from the territory days, a home video release with original matches, or in the case of this week's show, a major televised show for the World Wrestling Federation, but not Saturday night's main event. This is a major televised show uh, that, to the best of my knowledge, Jeremy, was only shown in England. It was broadcast in England. It became something that tape traders were looking for as it was eventually released out on VHS. And this show took place October 3rd, 1991. Let's take you back to July of that year, 1991, two weeks before the Great American Bash pay-per-view, WCW fired their world champion, Ric Flair. Jim Hurd, president of the company, he had two taped statements that aired on the TV shows leading up to the show. The I, first, by the way, Jeremy, yeah. I just want to mention, I watched these statements. I was a an avid watcher of WCW television, so everything you're about to describe uh, involving Ric Flair... I lived in real time as a hardcore Ric Flair fan, so this uh, this will be a trip down memory lane for me as well. Yeah, the first was that Flair was stripped of the title because after one year of negotiations, they couldn't come to a contractual agreement. The second statement was that Barry Windham would replace Flair as Lex Luger's opponent. Flair was fired, but he couldn't contractually work for the WWF until September 1st of 1991. Flair was also still in possession of WCW's big gold championship belt. In August of 1991, Flair's world title belt, but not Flair, would be shown in vignettes with Bobby Heenan on both WWF's Superstars of Wrestling and Wrestling Challenge shows. If I remember correctly, the actual first appearance of the belt on those shows, it was Bobby Heenan, I think, at the end of the show uh, at the broadcast area uh, unveiling the belt. And I remember watching that and freaking out, As uh, did thinking, I. <laughs> thinking that that somehow meant that we were getting WWF versus WCW here in 1991, obviously as a 10-year-old kid at that time, not being a, as... Uh, it's fully up on all the behind-the-scenes situation as, as we all are now. Yeah, you know who else freaked out? WCW freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is in fact true. <laughs> they attempted to regain possession of the belt by uh, pursuing legal action against Flair. Flair told the company that he would sell the belt back for $50,200, the original $25,000 that... Flair had to put down as a deposit on the belt, which they made their champions do at the time. Plus, he was charging for appreciation of the belt and interest on the original investment, etc. WCW attempted to get a restraining order instead to prevent Flair from calling himself the uh, world heavyweight champion, uh, the real the, world. Yeah, they called him champion. the real world's champion constantly. That was which we'll hear on the show repeatedly. That was he was even introduced that way. That was part of his official ring introduction. Yep, but that attempted restraining order was thrown out of court. The NWA, however, was able to swoop in as they were different from WCW at this time. They had 
uh, started a split, and the NWA was able to buy the belt back from Flair in October of 1991. So then on this show, which we'll see later, Ric Flair does have the big gold belt, what had been the WCW uh, slash NWA World Heavyweight Championship, so this would be a, a very rare appearance for that belt on a on a WWF program. Uh, I'm sure you're going to get into uh, what they did on television, <laughs> yes. uh, which was ridiculous, creative, but also you could tell that it definitely wasn't that belt, uh, um, how they handled this on TV. Yeah, after this, this appearance of the belt and a few others, uh, the NWA was able to, you know, purchase this belt in in later October, and in November, the NWA attempted to file a restraining order to prevent the belt from appearing on WWF television. WWF, to avoid this restraining order, agreed to blur out the belt on broadcast to obstruct it, uh, make it blurry so so you couldn't see it. They they tried to the best of their abilities to to block out the belt from television. Uh, they were, they even tried to use a replica belt, which they were told uh, that doesn't count either. <laughs> you can't you can't use a belt that looks like the big gold belt. And so they they continued to blur it on television. And he would eventually Flair would use an old WWF tag team title belt. Yes. It was blurred out on television to continue this gimmick. Very, very obvious that it was the uh, the WWF Tag Team Championship belt at that point. It was a very distinct design that could not have looked more different than the big gold belt. And all the pixelization in the world isn't going to make those two belts look alike. So even as a as a kid, I was uh, had a very keen eye and noticed right away this is not what it is supposed to be. However, in January of 1992, this would no longer be necessary as Flair would win the Royal Rumble to become the WWF champion. Why had the, has the randomizer not given us that show yet? <laughs> well, because uh, the randomizer giveth, it gave us some great shows here. We had a good streak of two or three in a row, and here it is, taketh away as it oh, gives yeah. us the Battle Royal at Royal Albert Hall. This show was taped on October 3rd, 1991, and it aired on the Sky Channel as a television event in the UK. It didn't say, like, Sky Movies or something that it aired? I thought I remember seeing one graphic pop up. Uh, maybe that was just an advertisement for that other channel. Yeah, this this show was a sellout in front of 5,000 fans at the historic Royal Albert Hall, and we'll get to how great this crowd was throughout the show yeah, the crowd was great, and the venue is beautiful. Gorgeous, um, absolutely. I believe they've... Uh, didn't they do a uh, takeover there, an NXT takeover show there in 2019 or 2018, I believe? I believe. But it looked so much better here, I think, just because it was so jam-packed to the rafters. The best way to describe it, if you've never seen Royal Albert Hall, um, again, as you said, a legendary historic venue. At this point in 1991, it was already 100 years old. But visually, it is like a much bigger, much more ornate, much more beautiful version of uh, the Hammerstein Ballroom that ECW would run quite often. As far as the you have the seating, then you have like these like the majority of the seating other than the, the ringside area is just theater boxes, theater boxes, yep. which is and it's very, very well lit. 
which is a very, it's a unique look. And we talked about it on that WrestleFest tape, which I believe that was also from 1991, right? Yep, lucky uh, us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> more, more obscure <laughs> WWF 1991. But on that WrestleFest tape, we talked about how other than Madison Square Garden, every venue they went to on that tape, I believe there were six or seven of them, all looked exactly the same. Uh, that was a good selling point of this show was that it was such a unique venue yeah, that it, it added to the the ambiance and the uh, the flair, dare I say, it, of the it, show. It really did. You could see like three or four levels up that it went yeah. uh, high with, with theater boxes. And, and they did a good job of shooting it too. They didn't try to hide the fact that this was a unique arena they they leaned into uh the unique historical nature of it which i I thought was a nice touch and thank goodness our announced team is bobby the brain heenan and gorilla monsoon i was excited you texted me with joy and excitement (laughs) we we were we were gonna get heenan and monsoon in their prime on a show that was not super thrilling so they were gonna have to entertain themselves and yes and that was definitely uh, uh definitely good news for us as- and entertain yeah entertain us in the process uh, i was very excited as i texted you to tell you that, the, that it was girl monsoon and bobby heenan as the announce team uh, not fully aware of how much i was going to need them to make it through this <laughs> two hour and 40 minute odyssey of world wrestling federation 1991 glorified house show action as Gorilla Monsoon introduced us to Bobby the Brain Heenan, Heenan quickly corrected Monsoon, saying he's Sir Robert of Heenan, Lord Brain to you. <laughs> yes. And we are off and running. We're we- off and running with, uh, I'll just we'll quickly note here, problematic ring announcer Mel Phillips uh, is the one doing the ring announcing here. I half expected that to be edited off uh, Mel Phillips of the uh, the... 1992 ring boys scandal uh that that uh, was definitely a major uh, major issue during that era for the world wrestling federation so uh that that was the first thing about this show that just kind of caught me off guard yeah i was surprised i thought i i didn't know what year the the ring boy scandal was but i knew that mel phillips was fired and i was surprised he was still around in 1991 so yeah hearing it was in 92 that makes a little more sense because i i was taken aback that he was our ring announcer tonight the the opening match we get Jimmy Hart leading out the Nasty Boys, and this theme song is way better than their horrible music in WCW. This was significantly I better. Could not disagree with you more. I wrote down <laughs> almost literally the exact opposite, saying that this show is starting off with a letdown already, as this theme music cannot hold a candle to the Nasty Boys entrance music, which you can go back and hear a snippet of, as well as me doing a spoken word performance of that. <laughs> if you're so inclined, go back and listen to our Slambery 1995 episode uh, back in the archives. Free! You don't even have to pay for that content. You can listen to that for free. No, and it's good stuff. And you can listen to how horrible that theme song is and appreciate that this one is significantly better. <laughs> and the Nasty Boys should not have a good theme song, though. That's the whole thing. It was terrible and cheesy, but that's what made it so great because the Nasty Boys are are not particularly good. Uh, yeah, and they take on the Rockers, as you said, who have Rockers theme song. Uh, I guess would be the best way you could describe it. Quick fashion report. Um, the Nasty Boys look exactly like, like the Nasty Boys do. Whereas the Rockers, I, I wrote this down. This may be a bit esoteric of a description. I wrote down the rockers gear looks like 1 million Easter eggs got dipped into the ocean. Yes, that is, that is a fair description. 
Um, the the Rockers versus the Nasty Boys. Right away, uh, Monsoon makes a comment that the facility that they're in, Royal Albert Hall, is over 120 years old. And Heenan quickly chimes in. So is Lord Alfred Hayes. So I knew we're... <laughs> I cackled, and and I I knew we were off to the races as far as the uh, the announcers were concerned. We also had like thirty seconds. Well, I can't say thirty seconds into this match because the first five minutes of it or so was stalling. Total house show stuff. But again, this this is what the crowd came to see. This is a crowd full of mostly people under the age of ten who were there to see. The, the stars of they're, they're there to see the circus in town. They're there to see the stars of the WWF do their greatest hits. And so from that purpose, I guess it was fine. Uh, but yes, Gorilla Monsoon calls Jimmy Hart a fountain of misinformation. Um, at, at this point, then Bobby Heenan says that Marty Jannetty, who had just taken uh, Brian Knobs jacket, Heenan just casually says that he thinks Jannetty blew his nose <laughs> in Knobs coat. So we're off to a great start already. Yeah, and and you mentioned the crowd. What an ovation for the Rockers! I yeah. I knew right off the bat from the this opener that this crowd was hot. This was the one time they got to see the WWF come to town, and they were giving they were going to give it one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, right they were there. ready. The, the wrestlers were were uh, stuck in second gear for a lot of this, but the fans were not. So. Yeah, yeah, like you mentioned, it started lots of stalling, lots of house show stuff. Uh, nasty boys on the turnbuckle, loud boos. Rockers on the turnbuckle, loud cheers. Uh, we're six minutes and fifty-two seconds into this show before the first lockup actually takes place. <laughs> then we get a pretty good sequence to start, though. Well, I feel weird saying that because it starts with a a bear hug from Sags, but then Michaels. Shawn Michaels bites his way out, hits a super kick on each nasty boy. Then does this awesome spot where he kind of staggers backwards and falls into his own corner. Uh, just as Marty Jannetty leaps off the top rope to hit a double cross body uh, onto both of the nasty boys. Very cool. Very unique. And every time we see the rockers on this podcast, I'm reminded of how great of a team they were. Absolutely. And, and the crowd continues to be hot, losing their mind for this rockers offense early. And it's all rockers. And Heenan chimes in with uh, uh, the Bushwhackers are from England. <laughs> and Matsun says, uh, I thought they were from New Zealand. And Heenan just says, same thing. <laughs> so- <laughs> we also have a great moment where uh, uh, Brian Nobbs, after they get back in the ring, Nobbs comes in and he's he's wanting Marty Jannetty to get in the ring. And he his plan to get Jannetty into the ring is to get him angry by calling him, quote, a butt face. Which was, that, that was a thing. We also had knobs yelling at British kids on the floor. I, I, I generally, Brian Nobbs is one of my least favorite wrestlers in the world. I found him wildly entertaining here in, in this setting. So Jannetty's in there and with Sags. He's sitting there just pulling the arm of Sags. And then we get an illegal switch where Michaels comes in. He starts pulling the <laughs> arm of Sags. And I do love when good guys break the rules and the fans quietly say, no, they didn't. No, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, The ref looks to the crowd when the heels say he pulled my hair or he didn't tag. And then you have 5,000 people saying no. And the ref's like, oh, okay. I believe you. Yeah, it was fun cheating. And Jimmy Hart's screaming about it the the entire time. Yeah, he's demanding that they ask the people. And, of course, the the people do not support his claim. They did the switch like four times. And the best part was the last time they did it, Michaels uh, 
gets in the ring and gets right behind the referee's ear and claps to make it sound like he tagged <laughs> and then goes and puts the, the arm bar on. And of course, like, you know, Gorilla Monsoon is not upset about this. Bobby Heenan is apoplectic and it's, you know, it's good stuff. Sags misses what has to be the world's most terrible super kick attempt. <laughs> that's it, what that was. I, that's you, are a, you are a gracious man here uh, on this podcast. Give him credit for that. Yeah. Uh, Michaels ends up pulling him under the rope, crotching him against the ring post. Michaels hits the ropes, but knobs with a low bridge and Michaels tumbles over the top rope to the floor. Allowing... Which is a cool spot, except for the fact that he pulled it down before Michaels even started running towards the ropes. So it just made Shawn Michaels look like the biggest idiot in the world. Like he just decided to run and throw himself over this low bridge top rope. But it I always allow... like that, that, that spot in theory. It allows the nasties to beat on Michaels on the outside. Uh, nasties with the heat on Michaels for a while. Knobs, he's punching Michaels in the corner, but Michaels won't go down. He, he fights back and... And in here in this sequence, you got to see a glimpse into the talent of Shawn Michaels here. He was so great here. Janetti just existed. Shawn Michaels looked like a superstar in this match on this show, which granted, not hard to stand out uh, on the show from a ring work standpoint. No, you're correct. He looked great. And he, he you could see why at this point they were already pressuring him to wanting him to go singles and trying to get him to agree to, to break up with Jannetty even earlier than he did because he was, he was ready. Michael's thrown into the corner. Sags misses a splash attempt and Michael's explodes out of the corner to clothesline knobs, hot tag to Jannetty. He runs wild on both nasties. All four men are in the nasties are thrown into each other. They collide. Janetti goes for the cover. The ref counts two, but the crowd thought it was three. And so did Gorilla. It, it, this was very weird. Yeah, it's a two count. Gorilla says it's three. It's only two. Everyone is confused at this point, and the match continues, I yeah, guess. Sags clearly kicked out, so I, I don't know what the confusion was. Uh, Michaels ends up press slamming Janetti onto Sags, but he kind of misses the splash, kind of hit him a little, I guess. Uh, hearts on the apron, tosses the megaphone to Knobs, who nails Janetti in the back with it. Yeah, Michael, yeah, Michaels goes after Jimmy Hart, and like as he throws a punch uh, at Jimmy Hart, Jimmy throws the megaphone to uh, to Knobs. Sags on top, gets the three count. Your winners, the Nasty Boys, sixteen minutes twenty one seconds. We also have it was long. It was definitely long. It wasn't as long as Marty Jannetty getting beaten down on that AWA show. No, that might still rethink, be going on. Yeah. Yes. It made me rethink all of my life choices that led me to doing this podcast. But this was not that bad. Um, I, I, the best part of this, though, was the the replays where uh, Bobby Heenan explains for his perspective what happened, which was that uh, as Michaels hit <laughs> Jimmy Hart, the force of that blow uh, caused Jimmy Hart to inadvertently throw the uh the megaphone to knobs and knobs inadvertently then upon catching the megaphone hit uh uh hit Janetti and then the nasty boys won so it was, it was perfectly clean uh, in the eyes of bobby heenan rick flair is in the back interviewed by mean gene flair opens up his green robe to show the nwa world title that big gold belt on wwf television so weird Super so like, weird. Nowadays, if people who watched more modern WWE, WWF, you know, we've talked about the Triple H doing his Ric Flair cosplay in 2003 with that belt, it maybe wouldn't seem as weird, but you can't, there's no way to overstate how strange this was back then 
uh, or even now seeing this era of WWF, seeing that belt on there. It was also weird. I don't ever recall seeing Ric Flair in the WWF wear the green gear, the green robe, the green uh, tights. I don't recall seeing that very often. That's a, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I don't either. And he calls himself the real world's champion, says he'll handle Tito Santana later, calls out Rowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper as well. Tito Santana versus Ric Flair. Flair, he's out, works over, he's working over the arm of Santana, of course, using hair pulling to take him down repeatedly. Well, first, Tito has no music, which that's a theme. There's a few guys on the show who have no music. And also, Tito's just wearing his strike force gear. Yeah, it was. Which- <laughs> which is a little odd. I was expecting for some reason in my head, I guess I had the timeline a little off. I was expecting El Matador Tito Santana here. So that no, a was a little early on, on the El Matador. This was uh, yes. just generic uh, post strike force uh, Tito Santana. He, we also had generic fake Ric Flair music here, which was, well, this, this, was his... this is what his music was. At this the time. was his music. It, the, yeah, yeah. They, they WWF redid uh, their knockoff of the, uh, theme from uh, it, it, the you know his classic theme was which is like what they did with Goldberg when they brought in Goldberg yeah, and they, they gave him like music that almost sounded like him but not really which is they, just pointless yeah they would eventually go with the 2001 Space Odyssey song uh, eventually later in his WWE run but uh, at this point he had his knockoff music um, so Santana is able to fight back he hits two perfect drop kicks and we got an early flare flop, which is always fun. Yes, very early. And at this point, I also noted that uh, Ric Flair was not in the best shape of his career, particularly for this time. I mean, it wasn't like he was, it, it was horrendous, but just it was noticeable that he, you know, that he had not been wrestling regularly, which was just interesting to see because Ric Flair, every time we've watched him watch a match of his on this podcast, you know, it's in the midst of, you know, him wrestling 300 nights a year, just an absolute machine. So here, yes, he was rested, but he was also, you could argue, maybe a little rusty. Flair catches Santana with a quick takedown, holds him down with his feet on the ropes, but Santana's able to kick out. Flair lays in some huge chops, goes for another pin with his feet on the ropes for leverage, and then after the two count... Flair pops up and starts yelling at the front row to shut up, and yes. he he walks over to like really yell at the at these children, and and yeah, I he gets on the apron, it. I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, and at this point, I know that I've never seen so many kids at a show in my life. Like this, this is completely all almost all children. Like I wonder if just the parents all drop them off. Um, it was. <laughs> It was something. And also, you, one of the other great things about this match, which I had kind of forgotten about with Flair's run, is that not only was Bobby Heenan his advisor, he wasn't his full-fledged manager. He wasn't always at ringside with him. He was most of the time in the booth. But he was basically managing him from the broadcast booth. And it is it is hilarious to hear Bobby Heenan living and dying uh, with everything Ric Flair does, like front-running when he's doing well and then freaking out when he's losing. And the zenith of that is the the emotional odyssey that Bobby Heenan goes on in the Royal Rumble 92 performance for Ric Flair. But we got a little bit of that here in this match. Absolutely. Uh, Tito fires back. He he sends Flair into the buckles, goes upside down and over, runs down the apron into the clothesline by Santana. Flair's just begging off, and we end up getting a battle over a backslide. 
Tito we, gets Flair's it for begging off and we get the we get the great Ric Flair. No, <laughs> we get and he's he's so over like he's Ric Flair, but he's being over the top Ric Flair, which is again perfect for this crowd. My, my one of my favorite moments of this entire show is when he does this. He goes no, and then the whole crowd yells yes. It's, this crowd is great. They and, were and this except, is Flair. Except okay, someone on. in the crowd has a super annoying air horn. And yes. I literally wrote on my notes, please knock it off. I, I hated the air horn. This felt like the spiritual precursor to Vuvuzelas. Yes. <laughs> After a belly-to-back suplex, Flair slaps on a figure four leg lock. And I thought this was the end here, but... Uh, it was weird timing, though. He had not worked over the leg at all, which I thought was interesting. We didn't see the knee breaker. Nope, just uh, threw it on. To this point, we didn't see many kicks to the leg. It was just he threw it on. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon was going crazy selling this, which was awesome. Uh, and we have what was the theme of this match? Ric Flair using the ropes again uh, for leverage here on the figure four. And there's a great spot where he does it once. The ref confronts him. He lets go, and then he tells the ref, get right in Tito's face, basically, yeah. <laughs> so you can tell if he gives up, and then Flair grabs the ropes again. But Flair, um, you, I would have loved if they would have this made this argument that Flair doesn't realize how flimsy the WWF actual ropes are instead of the steel cables from WCW, and the evidence in the rope is literally bouncing <laughs> up and down after he lets go. Uh, I mean... The, so that That's was fun. Yeah, Monsoon was yelling about it. He's like, why is the re- why is the rope bouncing, referee? Come on. Yes, Gorilla being upset with ref incompetence is one of my favorite <laughs> things on the show. Uh, Santana's able yeah, to get it. Keenan, though. Sorry, I have to jump in. Yeah. Keenan has another great line where he says that one of the cameramen bumped into the rope, and <laughs> That's, that's right. why it's shaking. <laughs> so he was good. quickly there to cover at this point, while we're in the figure four, it's just it's like a back and forth of Heenan and Gorilla greatest hits. Gorilla t- starts talking about lateral collateral ligaments. And Bobby's just like, yeah, the kneecap. <laughs> and Santana's able to reverse the figure four uh, by rolling onto his stomach, of course. Um, Flair ends up sneaking up behind Santana, like literally creeping up behind <laughs> him, and then kicks was, him in the injured knee. <laughs> my, my thought process was that this... This moment, these three or four seconds of him sneaking up behind Tito Santana must have been the impetus for the creation of the Repo Man character a few short months later. (laughs) Santana, he answers with a forearm, another flare flop. Flair is punched, and he flips over the top rope to the floor. He gets slammed hard on the outside. After a back-and-forth brawl, they're back inside. Flair goes to the top rope. Of course he's thrown off, but only... Gets a long two count. At this point, Bobby is yelling for Flair to kick out and then starts coughing like he lost his voice from being so concerned, which is great. Santana hits his finisher, which is the flying forearm, but Flair gets his foot on the bottom rope. Santana rolls up Flair, but Flair reverses the roll up, grabs two handfuls of tights, gets the the three count. It's the deepest handful of tights grab you have ever seen in your life, particularly on the replay. It is, he got all of it. And he gets a three count. Your winner, the real world champion, Ric Flair, 16 minutes, 14 seconds. Yeah, this was a perfectly fine Ric Flair match. I would argue that it may be, of all of the Flair matches we've watched so far on this podcast, it may be the... I don't want to say the worst because it wasn't bad, but it may be the least uh, Ric Flair-like performance of everything uh, that we've seen from him. But still, 
it was very good. Yeah, and, uh, it, and it was, like you mentioned, Bobby Heenan always adds an element uh, to a Ric Flair WWF match. So absolutely, Gene's in the back with the big boss man. He mentions that a five hundred pound piece of trash that the boss man will he's going to take out the trash. So Gene also mentions that quote. I can't think of anything better than suburban commando tickets as a birthday present. Oh, he is wrong. And after that, a that being the Hulk Hogan movie that I believe they uh, on the original broadcast they showed a commercial for, but we do not see that here. I think that's what Gene was referring to. Bossman also says that he is he's he's a police officer in the United States, but he has jurisdiction in England because this is the World Wrestling Federation. Works for me. After a quick commercial break, Gene is back interviewing Earthquake with Jimmy Hart. Quake says, uh, do you know how long a boat ride is to get here? Really far. That's why we took a plane. All right. What was this? I, I wrote this down. I laughed. And then the best part of this, like this is hilarious enough that immediately afterwards, Gorilla Monsoon just starts making fun of Earthquake and basically saying he's an idiot. <laughs> I, I This was awesome. Earthquake with Jimmy Hart versus the big boss man. The boss Who, man, super his, popular. He's super popular. This is one of his like heavier weight fluctuation periods. His baby face music is so lame. The, the chorus is just him saying, you'll be serving hard times. I have a, a snippet of the lyrics that I'm going to read for you, spoken word style. He carries a big stick. A ball and chain too. You'll get into trouble, and he'll be coming after you. You'll serve hard time. We'll serve hard time. <laughs> I feel like I was serving hard times at this point watching this show. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe this ovation. I still can't get over how no. popular he was here. Uh, he was. It's so funny how sweaty the boss man is just from his entrance. Yeah. I mean, armpits, belly, <laughs> just sweat everywhere. It's gross. Earthquake. <laughs> Locks up with the boss man, and twice Earthquake throws him down. Each time he does the Hogan posing, and <laughs> awesome. watching Earthquake do that pose made me laugh harder than it totally should have. I, I was a little also, embarrassed by how how much I laughed at that. It also made Jimmy Hart laugh. He legitimately started cracking up at ringside. I love the Earthquake. John Tenta was great. He was in so many situations where you couldn't show how great he was. But there are always little there were little things that slipped through and you could see how good he was. We also had Jimmy Hart yelling at least 50 times uh, over his megaphone during this match about how you better get some earthquake insurance, big boss, man. And Jimmy Hart thought that this was the funniest thing that anyone had ever said. It it was just the one thing you can say about WWF in 1991, really ever, but particularly in this time period, they were many things, but subtle is not one of them. Bossman with body shots to Earthquake's giant fat stomach. and Much Mons- better than Tony Holm body shots, by the way. <laughs> yes, and Monsoon says, that's the wrong place to hit him. <laughs> that is where his power is. And I lost it. I powerless fat. I was it. howling with laughter. Uh, <laughs> Quake tries to throw Bossman off of a headlock, but Bossman keeps holding on by the beard. Bossman goes to the bottom rope turnbuckle and and he he thought about going to the second rope decides against it he remembered who he was it was a (laughs) moment of self-realization he jumps off the bottom rope lands on his feet (laughs) then hits earthquake with a double axe handle this this wasn't russ francis from the super class show we reviewed bad 
or Stevie Ray from Slamboree bad, but it was still bad. I was going to say this. You mentioned this via text, and I think you hit it dead on to this. It feels as though Stevie Ray learned his first rope high flying uh, <laughs> antics from uh, uh, from Big Boss Man here. If you have not listened to our Slamboree 95 show where Stevie Ray hits a first rope leg drop for the ages. <laughs> Go back and listen. Uh, go back and listen to that show. It's the uh, same match this, where you get to hear that that uh, nasty boys music. So uh, it is. Treat it's a legendary yeah. match in the history of this podcast <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, Bossman had this headlock on forever. Oh, yeah. Again, very house show. And so, <laughs> so the Bossman then goes back to the corner again and actually comes off the second turnbuckle this time. Yes. This knocks Earthquake down onto his ass, like actually sitting down. Quake gets up as Bossman goes to the top rope. He dives off the top and is caught in midair by the Earthquake, who holds him and then power slams him. Holy crap. I was I was yeah, shocked. This was at this incredible. Moment. This was I, I did not expect this at all. Extremely impressive. Again, boss man, a huge guy, a tall guy, a heavy guy hurtling through the air at full speed. An earthquake catches him in the air. Feet, boss man's feet do not touch the ground. And then he hits him with a power slam. Uh, very impressive power. I guess the, the he gets the last laugh with that Hogan pose down because truly, I guess the power doesn't lie only in his belly. It's also <laughs> in his arms. Very impressive. He then just steps on the big boss man, which I enjoy. Uh, we then have a lot of earthquake just doing, you know, your your garden variety fat guy moves to the big boss man on offense. I did like a bit of earthquake channeling Shiro Koshinaka with hip slash ass attacks in the corner. Uh, your favorite you, guy, the now, the air horn guy, starts leading the boss man chance with the air horn. He does I, now. I've, now you're being way too generous to these <laughs> ass attacks in the corner. This, <laughs> that this is just. Him leaning against Bossman, squashing him in the corner. Uh, not quite. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, you're probably right. And then all of a sudden, uh, I'm like, "Oh, sweet, a bear hug too. Great." It, to be to be fair, uh, last time we saw Earthquake, he was in a horrible match on that WrestleFest night. God, with the Warrior, with right? The Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, that was terrible. This was this. This offensive uh, flurry, this offensive uh, sequence by Earthquake was less boring than that but besides that big power slam it, it, it wasn't much and no. it, how I, about how about gorilla <laughs> he had a great line here gorilla monsoon as this show goes along he is very particular about how pro wrestlers apply the bear hug and if yes. you don't do it right he will call you out he was he, angry he, <laughs> he, yeah, he's, he's angry is the right word uh earthquake has the bear hug on but he's He's holding him very low, like lower back, almost tailbone. And <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon says, and I quote, that's not where you get the oxygen, pal. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he's got it low. He doesn't have it on. I don't even know why he's doing it. Just that was the <laughs> attitude. Like, why even bother if you're not going to do it right? And, and it, was, <laughs> it was so great. And I There's love another it. great exchange around this time where Gorilla asks Bobby which natural disaster, yes, that I being earthquake or typhoon, yep. he thinks it's heavier. And Bobby thinks about it for a second. And then he <laughs> says he believes that earthquake is six pounds heavier. And Gorilla just cracks he, up and loses it and he i laughed do too. so hard i start laughing so hard because yeah bobby literally took a beat thought about it and said i think the earthquake is six pounds heavier <laughs> it was perfect timing just and, and this yeah. show 
this show is so much better if you just think about it as like an episode of primetime wrestling where they're doing what they would do in the studio, but there happens to be matches happening in front of you. Bossman fires up by pushing Quake to the corner and then repeatedly headbutting the giant belly of the earthquake. <laughs> but an avalanche in the corner by Quake stops that. I immediately looked and I'm like, why is this match still happening? This has been going on for a really long time. And <laughs> sure Did enough. you hear Jimmy Hart yell and uh, yelling that uh, Earthquake should give the boss man a root canal with his foot? No, God. I, <laughs> Jimmy Hart, stop it. Um, yeah. Way too much Jimmy Hart on this show. Oh, my God. Yeah. Bossman sent off the ropes. He tries to slide underneath Quake, but doesn't fit, and so no, Quake just falls. He just falls down, and then gets this right is back like, up. It's like those videos that you'll see of a really rotund cat trying to go through a dog door, and yes. they just get stuck. That's what happened here. Um, I loved it, but not because it was good. It just it was amusing. Bossman then hits an enzigiri out it of nowhere. It was a really nice enzigiri out of nowhere. Yeah. He and gr- then Gorilla Talk, because he hits it into Gary, obviously the back of that. Gorilla talks out of that affects the external occipital protuberance. And Bobby says, yeah, he kicked him in the back of the head. Bossman grabs Jimmy Hart, who's on the apron. Quake runs into Hart, knocking him onto the floor. Roll up by the boss man. I was hoping this was the end, uh, but it was only a two count. I'm screaming to end this match. Uh, <laughs> Quake gets stuck in the ropes and the Mountie comes out to check on Jimmy Hart. Bossman runs at Quake, who's still stuck in the ropes, like arms out, stuck in the ropes. And yeah, he's tied up in the ropes. Yep. Bossman with a, just a splash, he just throws like a flying <laughs> was, body attack. Yeah, Tony Schiavone would have had no choice but call that a flying body attack. This was insane. I love that. I it was I have never seen that before out of that position, <laughs> especially from a, a a large man like the big boss man. Uh, a couple hard slaps to the face as well. And then he comes off the ropes again, but this time the Mountie trips the boss man. Quake drops an elbow, covers him, and gets the three count with an elbow drop. Boss man then chases the Mountie to the locker room. Earthquake again is your winner at 15 minutes and 47 seconds. It felt every bit of it. And again, just imagine the fact that that match and the flare match were basically the same length. It felt like two different universes. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon, when this finish happened, Gorilla Monsoon said, boy, did that stink. And I agree. (laughs) 100%. We then go backstage with a shot of the Royal Samovar Trophy, which we hear that phrase said about a billion times on this show. Gene Okerlund says that this trophy will open many doors and then explains the rules of the battle Royal to the no one, you know, watching who does not know how a battle. Ro- it's a, what a it's battle not a special Royal battle. Royal. It's every battle Royal you've ever this seen. It's not like a, this is not a TNA impact reverse battle Royal. <laughs> no, this is, uh, this is not. Yeah. This is a battle Royal. This is men in the ring. They get thrown over the top. Show ends. That's we all got this the is. rules twice, and I was oh, listening closely because I thought I was going to hear something different. Because you're telling me the rules to a regular battle royal twice. Well, but the best no, part is when we get the rules good. later from from Mel Phillips. We get the uh, the famous last words. The rules are simple, <laughs> which never usually get does not mean that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, get comfortable. Pack a lunch because you're going to have probably a few minutes and a couple a couple graphic screens. Uh, but now we have yet more promos backstage. We have Carrie Von Eric being uh, interviewed by Gene Okerlund. Really a nothing promo. He says nothing. Uh, 
the only thing I'll note is that Terry Von Erich was my first wrestling hero growing up, uh, watching world-class wrestling as a very, very young child. So I always got excited to see him in the WWF, even though for so many reasons, he just wasn't the wrestler he was before. Um, but anyway, we then have an interview with Jimmy Hart and the Mountie. Not with in the back Gene this time, Oakland. in front of no, the this people. Is, yeah, this is like one of those WWF superstars type of interviews. There's way too much Jimmy Hart on this show. Uh, for some reason, Gorilla Monsoon keeps calling the Mountie the Jailbird. Uh, the Mountie, I, I noted that he just loves saying he is the Mountie. That's literally he really all enjoys he did was saying scream that. that. He screamed it in his promo. I am the Mountie. He's the only law and order in the WWF. He's going to win the trophy. Um, yes. The uh, he, the Mountie was being called a jailbird because he lost the SummerSlam match to the big boss man well, and had to spend the night in jail. They um, finally explained that to us. Like at the very end of the match, after yep. saying this so many times, they finally explained Like they realized, oh God, we probably need to uh, tell people what that is. This match, this is a complete and utter nothing match. Oh. The, there is the longest sleeper spot you've ever seen. And then <laughs> twice that is followed up with the Mountie with the sleeper. This just happens forever. Then Carrie Varnerick runs the Mountie into the corner. And what does he do? He then slaps a sleeper of his own on the Mountie. Good we God. Then, the only thing that saved this is that gorilla explains to us what the carotid artery is. There's nothing I enjoy more than gorilla monsoon explaining medical terms. Uh, but this this after match these, no after these t- after these two long sleepers and nothing else happening I I owe boss man an earthquake an apology because this was way more boring uh, oh. I, I was too hard on boss man an earthquake because I could see how bad it could get this well, match I wrote, was horrible. I wrote down this is AWA 1987 level action and I feel as though I'm insulting. AWA 1987. This was, again, there's really not a lot to say about this. Heenan and, and Gorilla are just amusing themselves. The finish, really the only thing I have to say about this match is the finish is so weird uh, because so like the Mounties working him over. Kerry uh, Van Eric hits a clothesline. He goes for a monkey flip, um, but it just doesn't happen. Time stops. The earth stops spinning. Uh, the Mountie apparently blocks it. He gets his feet on the ropes for the three count. Heenan here is great. He says it was accidental. Gorilla tells him, shut up. But then, <laughs> so the match is maybe restarted, maybe not. Then Mountie just goes to the back. They play Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Eric's music. They never announce who the winner was. Well, I think the Mountie won, but maybe it doesn't sure. matter since it's the WWF. The, yeah, the the Mountie won this match. They counted three. They, this was all uh, that, that extra. The bell never rang. They never made an announcement. Activity. No, it was. Uh, it, this could still be happening. It was so not good. This match was so terrible. That that finish was so weird, and we talked about everything that happened in this match. Thirteen minutes, forty six seconds. We did not leave anything out. No, and that was it. And and it was horrendous. I spent most of the match just looking at Kerry Von Erich's feet, trying to figure out if this is before or after he lost a foot. That was yeah. that, that was all I could think about was, while I was watching this match. He was 
I will say that I thought he looked better here than in that WrestleFest match that he had, which I believe that was that with the Mountie as well. Oh, it it might be. This was terrible. I can't remember if that was the uh, the Jimmy Hart yelling match or no. Not. No, we had the, the Jimmy... no WrestleFest had uh, Mountie and the Boss Man. In, oh, that's in the, right. In the that's over the right. shoulder Jimmy Hart cam. Yeah. Yes. Well, this was terrible. This was awful. Uh, we don't need to say a lot more about it. It was awful. It's then followed so, up by a funeral parlor segment. No, wait a second. Which... Wait, I want to catch you up real quick before we get to the funeral parlor. So we've been talking about how great the fans are, right? And and they were so excited to see their favorite stars, the baby faces, their favorite stars all night long. And so far on this show... They have seen every single one of their favorites lose. The Rockers lose. Bossman loses. Santana loses. And now Carrie Von Eric loses. Jeez. They, Which is, yeah, it's real wild. Real feel-good show so far. <laughs> yeah, for a glorified house show, for the one time you go to England in the year. Yeah, that's. We I hadn't really thought about that. But no, that's, uh, we then go into the pick-me-up that is the funeral parlor, <laughs> which I wrote, and I'm sure you will appreciate this, that, that, I feel as though for a moment we are on the set of Bash at the Beach 2000, the graveyard match. That's what this felt like momentarily. Paul Bearer is just cutting his warbly Paul Bearer promo. It's terrible. Undertaker then cuts. uh, He talks saying that rigor mortis will soon set in on Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the battle royal will be a WWF mass burial. Uh, there are things in pro wrestling that we romanticize and a lot of people romanticize the early undertaker character and the promos. This is an act that has not aged well. No, absolutely not. Uh, the, the, the coolest thing so far in this show though, is an organist with a phantom of the opera mask painted on his face i thought it was rick rude he's he's playing if if you ever watch halloween havoc 91 you'll understand that reference (laughs) he's he's playing the giant organ at royal albert hall and he plays the undertaker's entrance now it was we could have heard it better yeah it wasn't mic'd well enough it should have been louder but they eventually got the sound mix better but yeah it, it was it was pretty cool that was a really cool idea it was a very cool moment. Uh, Gorilla Monsoon had a great line during the entrance saying that Undertaker has formaldehyde running through his veins. I love that. Then we hear uh, it's time for Jim Duggan to come out. We hear his music and I write down, I cannot wait to hear Bobby Heenan make fun of Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And almost <laughs> immediately, uh, Bobby Heenan does not let me down as he calls uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, quote, a two by four carrying cockeyed loudmouth. Duggan immediately attacks Taker, clotheslines him over the top, but Taker just lands on his feet, no harm. A lot of choking by The Undertaker, just lots of chokes. This is where you're talking about this uh, early Taker gimmick didn't age well. It's just lots of choking and no selling. Taker grabs the arm of Duggan to the top rope. He does his rope walk all the way to the middle, and like you mentioned earlier, these are not tight ropes. This was a uh, very saggy rope that was... The, the top rope and middle rope were physically touching each other with yes. the Undertaker on standing on the middle. He then jumps high off of those with a clubbing blow to the back of Duggan. This was by far the, uh, the the most impressive spot of this match. Oh, for sure. And yes, that was the hallmark of the WWF rings at that point was the actual ropes made of rope, not steel cables. We mentioned earlier that it's a reason you didn't see a lot of high-flying moves, uh, that and the very hard rings. 
uh, and just the WWF style. But yes, the, the first rope as Undertaker walks across the top rope, I should say, literally is sagging all the way down to touch the, the second rope. Duggan fights back five punches in the corner. But Paul Bearer grabs Duggan's 2x4, so he jumps outside the ring, chases Paul Bearer. This allows Taker to regain control. Duggan grabs the board, hits Taker with it. Taker does not go down, but your winner by disqualification, The Undertaker. So if you're keeping score, all heel victories still tonight. Not a single fan favorite. (laughs) This match, 6 minutes, 18 seconds. Yes, this was, again, another total nothing match, but at least it was short. Uh, My favorite thing about this match was Gorilla Monsoon saying that it should be an automatic disqualification if the manager so much as distracts uh, his charges opponent. I agree 100%. I want Gorilla Monsoon to book New Japan Pro Wrestling. (laughs) Uh, That that was my thought watching this. Um, But yeah, again, total nothing match. And yeah, Duggan hits him uh again with the two by four knocks him out after the match and we've got the whole thing where the undertaker is transfixed by the urn and bobby heenan who one thing heenan is great at one of the many things he's great at is getting over the monsters in the wwf as being terrifying characters and he did a very good job here mean gene in the back with rowdy roddy piper piper calls out flair says he's coming for him in the battle royal Gene then interviews Typhoon with Jimmy Hart. Again, uh, another Jimmy Hart promo. Like, this is the fourth time, I believe, we've seen him on the show already. And, and all his guys are going to be in the Battle Royal later. Yep, he's asked uh, if it's Typhoon and Earthquake at the end, uh, what's going to happen? And they and Typhoon says they'll decide who wins. Gene was not satisfied with his answer, but Typhoon says, case closed. Typhoon's gear, by the way, horrendous it looks like it was stenciled by a kindergartner gene interviews power and glory they came to london to win the tag titles gene interviews the lod who says uh that their opponents will be renamed sour and gory and yeah the lod here was well there's another well that was the end of this line from road warrior hawk i'll start off and again direct quote Swelling of the fluid sac surrounding the brain. Contusions. Ears bleeding. These are the things our dreams are made of. We'll rename you Sour and Gory. What happens if Hawk and Animal are left at the end of the Battle Royal? Only one way to sum that up. What a rush. (laughs) We then have Gorilla Monsoon as we go back to ringside. Gorilla says, what an outstanding night of wrestling so far. Gorilla Monsoon is wrong. Very wrong. The WWF Tag Team Championship on the line. Challengers, Power and Glory versus the champions, the Legion of Doom. I'm moderately excited about this match coming into it. So was I. I always enjoy the Road Warriors, except when they're having to bump for five minutes for Pez Watley and Jimmy Valiant. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, (laughs) But Power and Glory, I was very intrigued to see again. I remembered enjoying them as a kid, and we, we saw that match that they had with the Rockers on WrestleFest. So I was excited here. Uh, we'll find out if I had a reason to be or not. I was as well. It's all LOD early. Well, it's Pow- all stalling early. Then yes. it's all LOD. <laughs> Power and glory with an illegal double team in the corner. Roma follows it up with a pile driver on Hawk who pops right up. No effect. Yes, because you can't powerbomb Billy Kidman. That's right. And you can't pile drive Hawk. And Hawk follows it up with a press slam throwing Roma onto Hercules. 
Hawk misses a clothesline off the top. The well, crowd. how about before that? Road Warrior Hawk throwing a European uppercut. When have you ever seen that? No, and it was good, too. Yeah, it was perfect. Dory Funk would be proud. Crowd starts chanting, Hawk, Hawk, Hawk. And Heenan chimes in that this place will be full of birds in a half an hour. <laughs> the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hercules working over Hawk. Hot tag to Animal. He comes in, kills Roma. Clothesline, shoulder block, drop kick, and finally a power bomb. Yes, hold on. A power bomb in 1991 on this WWF show from Road Warrior Animal. I I leapt off my couch yes. at this moment. A kneeling power bomb from Road Warrior Animal. I did not expect this. I thought Animal, like Hawk, I thought LOD both looked really good here, but usually to me, it's Hawk is the more spectacular of the two at times, and Animal is solid but just kind of there i thought road road warrior animal looked great in no this, this match. is this is the intensity you want from the road warrior slash lod and you got it yeah from this animal. was this was not them as just your garden variety tag team uh like they were in that match against the heart foundation which is pretty you know so disappointing uh that we talked about earlier um all four but men yeah, and also, I mean, they were they were not like the the road warriors of like early NWA where they're just throwing people around, but they at least came off as intimidating here. Yeah, all four men in. Hawk and Herc spill out to the floor. Roma to the top rope comes off of the crossbody, caught in midair by Animal, who turns it into a power slam. Not as impressive as Earthquake's power slam earlier, but still, still quality. Awesome. He gets the three count with that power slam. Still the champs, the LOD. Anytime we see power and glory and we don't get the superplex splash combo move, I feel gypped. We're, we're 0 for 2. We're 0 for 2. And, and I was gypped my, my again. Favorite, my favorite, along with the Steiner Brothers uh, double team top rope DDT move, that is my favorite finisher, tag team finisher of all time. The perfectly timed superplex out of one corner and right as the guy is landing, Paul Roma hits that top rope splash. We have not seen it yet. We're still chasing that. Uh, I, I was very impressed again by Paul Roma, maybe not as much as in the Rockers match just because he didn't get to do a lot. But I, I still maintain that there was more meat on the bone there with Paul Roma than was explored in the WWF. And I feel like he got a, a looking back on it, he got a raw deal uh, a couple years later in WCW as a member of the Horsemen and people not really accepting him. This was the first match won by a baby face. Nine minutes, yes. eight seconds. Uh, Gene in the back interviews the British Bulldog, and he says he smells victory over and over and over again. He says this, he smells victory. Okay. Yes, he's, I thought he might have smelled whatever oil he had on him because he was shiny. Very shiny. Lord Al Hayes is introduced to the live crowd. He does terrible ring announcing for the next match. The Barbarian versus the British Bulldog. And the Barbarian, t- talk about a fashion report. Let's take I, a quick stop to the fashion corner because this is <laughs> this is the antler-wearing version of the Barbarian. This is... Uh, this is, yeah, this is the kids would call this a look, L-E-W-K. Um, this was, in some ways, I would imagine the, the, uh, the spiritual precursor to Mantar. Uh, he, the Barbarian has, as you said, a, a antler-laden entrance mask. He has a fur robe and fur loincloth tights and fur boots. Yeah, and the cape, so the headband he's wearing with the antlers has like a little tiny skull in the center. It's got skull on the cape, and uh, yeah, the, the, he's got a he's I should have asked the barbarian about skull. this. 
I should have asked the barbarian about this when he uh, accidentally walked in on me in the bathroom uh, at a uh, Black Label Pro show in I 2018. Have it, I have it here to ask you, was he wearing something similar at that indie show uh, when you encountered him in the bathroom? Sadly not. He okay. was just wearing his regular, his regular barbarian uh, gear, which, by the way, that was the show in which the barbarian and Ming took on Nick Gage. If and somebody who Nick Gage was teaming with, I don't remember that match. Uh, just a quick aside, I it took me back to my much younger days going to wrestling shows. I was terrified as Nick Gage and Ming brawled <laughs> their way toward me in this tiny shoebox of a venue. I thought I was going to die. So, in describing the outfit being worn by the barbarian, if our description made any of this sound cool. I apologize because it was not at all. Okay. So I want to make that clear. Less than the sum of its parts, I think would be not the, yeah, the proper look. description. Uh, so huge ovation for the British bulldog, obviously. Yeah, absolutely not. This is like Von Eric's Dallas 83. This is JYD in mid South. Uh, this is Jimmy Valiant in mid Atlantic. Yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Valiant, apparently anywhere in the Southeast. Uh, from what we've seen on this podcast, this was a massive, massive reaction. Quick start by the Bulldog, working over the arm of Barbarian. Barbarian's able to hit a big boot, knocking the Bulldog to the outside. Davies posted back first a couple times. Long chin lock. We get a close-up of Davies' nose, and he's uh, bleeding slightly. And and the cameraman was too excited about this because he just kept zooming on in uh, way too close. This is when we get... I don't want to say great because it's not, but it also is. It's uncomfortable. The comments that we have from Bobby the Brain Heenan here, let me make sure I have this correct in my notes because the quote is just, Bobby Heenan says, it is not the first nosebleed that Davy Boy Smith has had and it won't be the last. Yep. He then, like, he says it, and then he realizes, I think, that he shouldn't have said it because he spends the next 30 seconds, like, justifying it. Yes, trying to walk saying it's just because he's like, he's like walking it back. Oh, he's, he's in a lot of fights. He gets mm-hmm. busted up. But I just, I could not believe my ears when he said this. Pile driver by Barbarian. He gets a two count. The Barbarian missed an elbow drop off the second rope. Davey clotheslines the Barbarian out to the floor. Barbarian, he clotheslines the post back inside. Davy gets him in a long, delayed vertical suplex, holding him up there one for of his, quite a few seconds before dropping one of his him down. S- signature moves of Davy Boy Smith, which was extremely impressive given how, how big and loinclothy the Barbarian is. He goes for the cover here, and Gorilla Monsoon is just very upset with Davy Boy Smith for refusing to hook the leg. He instead has that that lateral press where you you go for the cover and you use two hands, two arms on one hand to hold the hold the shoulder down, that Bret Hart style pin. Gorilla Monsoon, not a fan. Davey puts him on his shoulders. Running power slam gets a three count. Your winner's the British Bulldog, and the crowd is extremely happy. I'm extremely happy this match only went 10 minutes and seven seconds. Yeah, this was not particularly good. Again, I thought Davey looked very good. There are some cool things yeah. that he did. Much like in his match with uh, with Ming, uh, actually, I guess so. We've seen Davy Boy Smith in 1991 WWF have singles matches against the men that would go on to be the faces of fear many years later in WCW. Um, 
yeah, but this was I really enjoyed that Ming Davy Boy Smith match. This was not that. Gene's in the back with the nasty boys. Oh God. Sag says that Europe has had plagues, Hitler, but nothing like the nasty boys coming to no, town. This is this is horrendous. He says there has never been a bigger tragedy in Europe than the nasty boys coming to Europe. He then says there have been little plagues. He then says, quote, some guy named Adolf raised a little hell around here, unquote. Oh, nasty. How did this <laughs> make air? Unacceptable. Lord Alfred Hayes joins the broadcast booth with Heenan and Monsoon because it's battle royal time. For the Royal Samovar Trophy, which there's a great exchange where... Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes explains to us that the Royal Samovar Trophy is, quote, a Russian tea urn. Okay. We have, and I, I clocked this not exactly to the second, but we have seven minutes of introductions. Every wrestler comes out, does their introduction with their music again, just like they did earlier. It's every single wrestler that has already wrestled on this show, plus Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Yes, which unfair advantage. I would love to know <laughs> the uh, the kayfabe reason for that. But yeah, this is everybody that we've seen, and really with the exception of Ric Flair and I don't know, maybe Shawn Michaels, a couple other guys here there, we did not need to see any of these guys again, but we're getting them. Piper's the last one in the ring, and he goes right after Flair, and the battle royal has begun. Lord Al Hayes uh, says, quote, what a tremendous tussle this is. <laughs> there are some great there are some great moments from Lord Alfred Hayes here as far as just words that he says. Like him just saying words is, is wildly entertaining to me. But I would say my favorite moment of this entire show, I guess it's a series of moments, is this whole battle royal, the whole time. Lord Alfred Hayes, I, I just I can't stop laughing thinking about it. He calls Paul Roma Paul Glory. Yes, he calls him Paul Glory. No, not once, but the whole time. And neither <laughs> Heenan nor, nor Gorilla bother trying to correct him. But just hearing in that Lord Alfred Hayes voice, Paul Glory, I just, I don't know. Maybe I was just delirious when I was watching this, but it, no, just, it, was... I, it just, it made me so happy. I This show, the only thing that could have made this show, it was terrible. One thing that could have made the announcing more watchable is if we had Lord L here for the entire program. Yeah, I was never a fan. Uh, Lord Alfred Hayes turned the corner for me at that same <laughs> WrestleFest tape when he yes. was mocking Greg the Hammer Valentine and how hideously <laughs> boring he is. Uh, so that that that's really when Lord Al Hayes got a spot in my heart. And and I don't ever want to. I don't ever want to hear him call a good match. But every bad wrestling match I watch, I want to be called by Lord Alfred Hayes. And no, we'll get to the end of this match because uh, he did show that he can call a good end of a, oh, yes. a match. We'll get there. Um, the This match starts out with just lots of punching, kicking, pushing, all the classic battle royal stuff when guys are going. At, you at got 20 guys in and there's out, no room. Yeah. And so, yeah, there's just really the only thing of note that happened earlier was Flair and Piper brawling out of the ring, brawling in the ring, brawling out of the ring, just being awesome uh, you know you had really just a lot of generic things happening and then you know rick flair and roddy piper lock up and it's going to it's going to stand out it's going to be electric no outside they're brawling outside the ring flair's face first in the guardrail he's getting choked out by piper who's using the camera cable yes yeah, it everyone's finally back in the ring this crowd 
you've never seen a crowd more excited for a generic battle royal. They are yeah. into everything Piper's doing with Flair. They're they're on their feet, and dumb Hercules is the first one out. He jumped. <laughs> Maybe I'll call him Hercules Power. He jumps over the top rope to the floor to get a chair. And he's yes. the only one in the arena that didn't know that he was now eliminated because he jumped over the top rope. Yeah. I watched this and I realized why a few years later he was wearing a red sock over his head. <laughs> uh, pretending to be from Bangkok, Thailand. I would be trying to hide myself too after this self-elimination. Nobs and Barbarian, they dump Kerry Von Erich. Nobs over the top rope on the apron. He's hanging on. Piper just pushes him off with a one-finger push to eliminate him. <laughs> that was great. Janetti's tossed. We don't see how. But we get a we get a short... Lord Al is the one who like he's he is the uh he's the eagle eye here telling us when people who don't matter get eliminated, and he's very excited about it. Like he's one of the rockers are eliminated. Oh, it's Marty Janetti. Yeah, and I, I wasn't paying attention to Janetti's elimination because we got a short glimpse of Michaels and Flair locking up. Yes, and, yes, and I wrote that down. I'm like, can just the other guys all Move. fall out of the ring at the same Move time? Move out of the way, give <laughs> space. Uh. Can, we, can a second ring appear? <laughs> like this is War Games or, or uh, World War Three, and get a second or third ring, and they can just go there and do Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels things? Santana tosses the Barbarian. Earthquake throws Santana over. We get more Flair and Piper, which was great. Sags eliminates Hawk, and right afterward, Duggan dumps Sags. So Hawk then hits Sags with a standing drop kick on the floor. Yes. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, the camera panned right away as maybe the most impressive move of the night happened, which was okay, great. Michaels goes over the top rope, but skins the cat like he would do many times in Battle Royals to get back in, but then he just... Turns around, walks right into a right hand from the Mountie. And this time, Michaels is launched over the top rope to the floor. This is a Not travesty. thrilled by this. No. Yes, the Mountie, who is the Mountie, eliminating Shawn Michaels, did not need to see that. Uh, then we have the Earthquake missing his avalanche splash in the corner. And Roddy Piper throws him out, which was fun. I did love Piper mounting flare and just raining down punches. Uh Animal press slams Flair in the middle of the ring. This was impressive. Yeah, Animal and Flair had something going on the whole match, which was pretty cool. Yeah, Earthquake ended up dumping Duggan. Duggan We're down to 10 at this point. We're halfway through. Duggan comes back in with a 2x4, nails Earthquake with the 2x4, and dumps him over. But he's hanging on to the bottom rope, so Animal comes over, kicks him. Quake is eliminated. Gorilla Monsoon not offended by this this miscarriage of justice. Flair and Piper, they're under the bottom rope, and they start exchanging stripes, strikes on the floor again. They brawl back into the ring. Piper with punches. We get a flare flop. Flair fights back. He punches Piper, and then he takes a big haymaker swing, and Piper lowers the shoulder, eliminates Flair. Flair will have his revenge on everyone, like I mentioned at the top of the show, in January at the 1992 Royal Rumble, so don't... Heenan, Heenan has a great line here where he says, like, he goes quiet. Like, he just he just is like, you know, he, he's very upset. But then he, he calmly comes back on the mic and says that it was a smart move for Flair to jump over the top rope. Things were getting too dangerous. <laughs> Piper crotches the Undertaker on the top rope, starts bouncing him up and down on it. As Paul Bearer shrieks, no, no, and this made me chuckle. I yeah, <laughs> I thought this was hilarious. It was, it was probably the only time I've ever been entertained by the Paul Bearer character. Was here the this was 
beautifully shot for uh, for maximum comedic effect. Very well done. Bulldog eliminates Paul uh, eliminates Roma Glory. Uh, Paul yeah, Glory. Paul Glory. That's it. We hear one more time for the road. We hear him called Paul Glory by uh, by Lord Animal. By Lord L. Animal charges Taker, who dumps him over the top rope. Piper backdrops the Undertaker over to eliminate him. This was a little bit of a surprise for me. Yeah. Taker then pulls him backward over this the top. This was horrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Piper, and... Piper goes through the ring apron skirt, like gets caught in between and pulls the whole like ring apron skirt off. I This was troubling. I hate when eliminated guys eliminate people. This yes. should not be allowed under any circumstance in a battle. We got a lot of that in it, this. I feel like four or five of the eliminations were that way. If the ref can tell that you went outside, not over the top rope, and they let you re-enter, yes. then they should also know if you were not eliminated by someone in the match. Yeah, so, if the wrong 300-pound guy threw you over the top, that should be something that can be seen. Final four, we've got the boss man, Typhoon, the British Bulldog, and the Mountie. So pretty sure I know who's winning this one. Uh, <laughs> boss man hits the Mountie with an open palm strike. <laughs> yeah, this was, we talked about Jushin Liger last <laughs> week. This is the boss man channeling Jushin Liger here. Yeah. And boss man slides out of the ring, punches Jimmy Hart for good measure. I was totally fine with that. Yeah, After, boss man looked great here. Yeah. We get a low bridge by the Mountie. The boss man over the top, he's eliminated. Davy Boy Smith fights back after a double team, but he gets cut yeah. off again. Another yeah, this is a two-on-one sequence. It's a two-on-one with the uh, two members of the Jimmy Hart organization, as it was referred to on this show, the Mountie and Typhoon, the former tugboat. Uh, I will note that, like, when you watch Battle Royals, we've talked about before. You know, Jerry Lawler or different guys they'll have, or they just don't do anything in the Battle Royal and just survive. Typhoon was in this entire battle royal. I never saw him hit anyone. No. I didn't see him take more than a single step. He did absolutely nothing until this point where the last three men were in the ring. I, it was a, an easy night for Typhoon, who also... Typhoon, I guess, is the other guy that didn't have a match on this show. Oh, correct. Yeah, besides Piper, I guess Typhoon also did not wrestle. Just think if we would have gotten a singles match there. Maybe they had the dark match. So Typhoon, uh, Mountie's holding the Bulldog. Typhoon goes for a clothesline. Bulldog moves, and the Mountie is hit, and he goes over the top, and the place is going ballistic for the final two. The Bulldog dumps Typhoon over the top rope to win the Battle Royal, win the trophy, and the place is going absolutely insane, blowing the roof off of Royal Albert Hall here. Lord L. Hayes proceeds to give the call of his life describing yes. this victory. What well, he co- was great. He was great cheering on Davey throughout this match. It comes down to Davey Boy Smith and Typhoon, and Lord Alfred Hayes is yelling at Davey Boy Smith to go outside, take a powder, get some rest. Uh, he's he is, uh, he's reaching way down deep here, as he said, for the uh, the call of his life. So... What a great crowd all night long for such a crappy show. Uh, they're they're having so much joy, but it's short-lived. As the natural disasters come back in, team up to attack the Bulldog. But 
Andre the Giant of all people comes out to make the save. He's he's walking out. He's got like a he's got one crutch as he's yeah. like walking out. He does not look to be in good shape. Yeah, at this point the disasters are out on the floor beating up uh David Boy Smith ostensibly so that, you know, Andre can come in and do what he's going to do without having to get into the ring. But yeah, he looks he looks like he's in a ton of pain, which again, not surprising. I mean, this is pretty close to the end for Andre. And the way the ring was set up in Royal Albert Hall, you had to go down of like five or six yeah. stairs to get to the ring. And so yeah. I'm watching Andre navigate these stairs and I'm I'm worried for him with his crutch as he does it. But he gets out there, he makes the save, he he attacks the natural disasters with his crutch, and Bulldog finally gets to celebrate as the show goes off the air. The Battle Royal went 14 minutes, 40 seconds. Uh, Ric Flair, the British Bulldog, the Lord Alfred Hayes call at the end, Monsoon and Heenan the entire show. These were the stars that got me through this program. <laughs> yes, I I would largely agree with that. Uh, this was a two-hour and 40-minute show that could easily have been a one hour and 40 minute show. When you look at the match time, some of these matches that went 13, 15, 16 minutes, the only one, the only one of these matches that needed to go as long as it was, was flair and Tito Santana. Every other match on this show, you could have shaved anywhere from three to 15 minutes off of best match for you. Flair Steamboat, I would say, or Flair Steamboat, geez, I'm, I'm, I'm witch casting <laughs> there. Wrong show, yeah. <laughs> wrong show. I'm trying to make this more than it was. Flair and Tito Santana, again, low-end Ric Flair match for this time period, but still, uh, again, you talked about uh, after watching Mountie uh, and Kerry Von Erich wanting to apologize to uh, the Earthquake. <laughs> yes. Earthquake and Boss Man. After watching all these matches, I wanted to apologize to Ric Flair and Tito Santana because that did, in fact, seem like Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat compared to everything else on this show. It did, and you already mentioned the worst match by a mile was the Mountie and the Texas Tornado Kerry Von Erich. What a horrendous match that was, and uh, just a terrible show. This show was crappy. Uh, <laughs> we were able to find some enjoyment out of it, so that's good. But, uh, yeah, if you're if you're one of our listeners from England who watched this show uh, when it happened or went back and saw it, uh, make sure you hit us up on social media. Tell us uh, what you thought of this show. I'd love to know your experience surrounding this because if you were one of the people that contributed to this being such a great crowd, thank you. Because along with all those people that you mentioned is getting us through the show, this crowd helped us get through this show, particularly the kids that were just having such a good time. Because otherwise, like if this show happened in front of like the, the AWA 87 Cow Palace crowd, oh, it God. may... It, I can't imagine sitting through two hours and 40 minutes of this. This was, it was not, not the best thing we've ever watched by far. Like I mentioned, the best way to interact with the show and to get in touch with us is via Twitter. That's at wrestle at random. It's the same for Instagram. You can also find us at facebook.com slash wrestling at random. And of course, wrestling at random.com is the website that has the entire back catalog of this podcast. Again, these are evergreen shows. They're there for you. Go back and listen to anyone in the back catalog you'd like. Uh, pick and choose. Uh, enjoy them all. Go ahead and uh, but make sure you subscribe so you get the latest shows every single week. 
Every Thursday, we're going to post on social media what event that week's episode will cover. So make sure you're you're following us there, and you'll know what's coming on Sundays. And then, of course, every single Sunday, we will post a new episode of a randomly chosen show. We fire up the randomizer. It's going to pick a show. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. And uh, it's always a good time to take a trip down memory lane and uh, get to experience shows I would have never dug out of a streaming service to watch. Exactly. This is one of them. Yes, I, I actually wrote that down, but this is this is at the top of that list of shows that I never in a million years, I could live to a thousand years old <laughs> and have no other entertainment to watch but pro wrestling, and I still would not have stopped upon this show and watched it. So uh, yeah, that is the uh, the great part, I guess you could say, about this podcast. And even the, the Sunday night uh, at 6 p.m. Uh, debut of this podcast every week it going up sunday night at 6 p.m central time that is also intentional uh, if you recall that was the old pay-per-view time slot sunday nights 6 p.m central 7 eastern so that is why we have the show going up every sunday at that time and yeah i i can just hope uh and really really cross my fingers that we're going to get something a bit more compelling uh next week but if we don't I hope we get Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby Heenan calling another terrible show. And if you want to support the show, if you enjoy what we're doing here, make sure you uh, rate, review any on any of your podcatchers of choice. That helps. Uh, that helps us work the algorithm so others can, other wrestling fans can find the show. And we rely on your word of mouth to tell the other wrestling fans or people that you know that used to be wrestling fans that aren't fans anymore. Tell, tell your friends uh, all about the show. Get them to show them how to subscribe to a podcast. Tell them uh, to take a trip down memory lane with us. And with that, we're going to wrap it up this week. I want to thank you for joining us, Adam. Definitely. Thank you, Jeremy. This was a, uh, a time capsule of sorts. I don't, I don't feel the need to revisit 1991 WWF that much right now. But who knows? The randomizer might give us another one. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And we'll talk to you again next time.